I'm Alex Millers. And I'm Tai Fu. And I think I'm going to start this episode off with a quote. And this was not a, a plan that I had until like four minutes ago. But I remembered a quote that I had heard once, probably on a hockey broadcast. And it was from, you know, one of the 200 hockey men. Probably, I think it was someone who was like a GM in the 80s or something. But anyway, it feels very relevant today. And the quote went something like this. You have to be a much better team to win the Stanley Cup than to make the Stanley Cup final. And I think that uh, through the first three games of this round four series, uh, that man definitely had a point. We can definitely see where he was coming from. And that feels like a very relevant quote, even though I have no idea who said it. Yeah, no kidding. And so here we are a week uh, from a week away, a week away separated from our uh, small bits of optimism that we had going into the series. Um, safe to say that they've been thoroughly annihilated. Uh, no, down three nothing, uh, and uh, it looks like this this uh, run is fucking dead. Yes, yes, it's very sad. Uh, but you know, okay, I think so. Looking at through the first three games of this series, I think what was very frustrating, specifically about like game two, because that was the one where Montreal played best and had the best shot of winning. And the second and third goals that they gave up in Tampa Bay's 3-1 win were pretty much just a pair of brain-dead plays. The first one by Ben Chirot in the dying seconds of the second period where he decided to like pinch and try to swipe the puck away at his own blue line. And then there was a Tampa Bay 2-1-1. And then Joel Edmondson, of course, with that no-look attempted pass to Jeff Petrie. That was just too soft and got picked off right away. It was like two brain-dead errors by mediocre defensemen that cost them that game and you you look at that and you think oh man if they were just you know were if they just played smarter in those moments then they would have had a much better chance of winning and what that really comes down to is why don't the lightning ever make plays like that it's because their defensemen are all better or at least five out of the six of them are all better than Ben Chirot and Joel Edmondson and really and even I think like Eric Gustafson yesterday made like a didn't he like like a, a pass up the ice that got picked off and then that led to a Tampa Bay goal so there's just you know a lot of I think I think sloppiness is a good word to use for it and I think it was just kind of more because I've been trying to figure out like well why can Tampa Bay do this to Montreal but Vegas couldn't and not to continue that trend of taking more credit away from Montreal for their run but it really does feel like wow, look how Tampa's really picking Montreal apart, picking their extremely flawed defense apart. Why couldn't the Golden Knights do that? Yeah, I don't know. The more I look at it, it feels like I actually had the opposite reaction because this this more than uh, the Tampa side of things, I I like more than anything. I feel like, man, this, kind of, this really sucks because I feel like the Habs could have done what they did in the first three rounds, um, you know, to at least a more competitive, like, you know, Perhaps they pull out a game two, and who knows about the other two games? Um, because it really feels like those brain dead plays, like they're really shooting themselves in the foot. And yeah, you know, like with a team like Montreal, where you're significantly worse than Tampa, you can't afford you can't afford to just because just based on how your team is built, um, you can't afford to make those mistakes. And maybe Tampa can because they've got the skill to make it up. Um, but it felt like the way the Habs were playing in the first three rounds, where you know, all the bounces were going their way because they were basically like perfectly ex- executing their system, uh, at least since game four of round one, um, that, you know, now that that's kind of fallen apart, you know, it feels like they could have absolutely made this a competitive series. 
at least like after three games because you know it hasn't been completely lopsided right like okay has Tampa been the better team throughout like you know at least for the for first of all at least for game one and game three but also for large chunks of game two yes Tampa has been undeniably the better team in the series um but you could make the argument that while Vegas for large chunks was a better team on five on five, they just seems like it seems like, you know, like the system kind of got in their the Habs defensive system got in their heads, Carey Price got in their heads. But overall, I mean, like they were the better puck possessing team, I found, uh, especially earlier on in the series. Now, um, and so it kind of feels like if the 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 way the Habs were gonna win the series was never gonna be, you know, outright being the better team against Tampa, I feel. It was going to be you know, yeah, you get you let the Lightning have their chances, but you're opt- opportunistic. You don't make any stupid mistakes. And, you know, maybe uh, just like you did in round one, just like you did in round three, you managed to pull one out, win a few games, and who knows, maybe win four. Um, but, yeah, so it really feels like they're costing themselves. Yeah, now, now is Tampa Bay a better team? Yes. And do they deserve to win these first three games wholeheartedly? But I can't, you know, help but feel... A sort of sense of missed opportunity because of, first of all, all those fucking brain dead plays that keep happening game after game. Um, the fact that Carey Price has kind of seemed to have fallen off. Like he hasn't been horrible. He hasn't been even bad. He just hasn't been otherworldly like he has been in the first three series. Um, and so, you know, if it was completely lopsided, if Tampa was fucking winning 6-1, which they basically are these games, but you know, like really 6-1, like the ice is completely slanted, then maybe I'd feel less of a, uh, aw, shucks. Maybe we could have won it, but you know, even after even down three nothing, I still have that feeling. I don't know about you. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when we talk about lopsided lopsided series, or not necessarily even that, but any game or series where one team is the heavy favorite, you look at you know what everyone says is the recipe for a heavy underdog to win. Uh, basically, it's what you said. Number one is you can afford basically zero mental errors. Uh, Montreal has, you know, had their fair share in the first three games. And you have to be opportunistic. And, I mean, it's not fair to say that Montreal wasn't opportunistic. It's just that they haven't had any opportunities, which, I mean, is significantly worse. I pointed this out to you after game two, after which Montreal had, had scored one goal in each of the first two games, that both of them were pretty fluky goals, which is a terrible sign. The Ben Sherat one in game one that bounced off of Sorelli and then McDonough and then passed Vasilevsky, you Obviously, that wasn't the the intent there. And then in, in game two, what was it? Uh, I'm struggling to remember what their goal was in game two. Can you remind me? But I do remember that it was fluky. Oh, yes, yes. It was a fluky shot from the point off the faceoff. Remember? And like Vasilevsky right. like, yeah, yeah, went yeah. right through his legs. Yeah. Yeah, the soft backhander from the slot uh, that just dribbled by Vasilevsky. And it's like, really, that, those are the only ways you can beat him is with total pure luck until game three when not all the goals were total pure luck. But it's like, man, that's a bad sign. And uh, yeah, it turned out to be exactly that. And I know, okay, it's, this is kind of like, well, another voice crack. I've kind of been talking a lot all day, but this is probably like pretty poor timing for us to record in that it's very hard to talk about this series as if it's not already over because it totally feels over. And I mean, it probably is over. Montreal probably has around like a 2% chance of winning it. Uh, but but still, it would have been maybe nice to have it like be like, okay, yeah. Uh, that the series is over and we can talk about it looking back on it. But assuming Montreal loses, we're going to have to acknowledge the kind of elephant in the room, not as much for us as it has been for probably most fans in these playoffs, which is that perhaps in the grand scheme of things, this finals loss 
may set Montreal's progress back somewhat in in that, well, first of all, Mark Bergevin and Dominic Ducharme are probably going to, you know, be able to sign 10-year contracts if they want to for making it to the finals like this. Luke Richardson, too. I know he was just, you know, the head coach for a little while there, the interim interim, but I'm sure he's going to have a – he's probably, honestly, I don't know if there are any – going to be any vacancies or if there are any vacancies right now, but I'm sure people will be like, oh, Luke Richardson coached in the Stanley Cup Finals for two games. We got to call him. But anyway, I especially with the defense, which is, you know, that was our big complaint all season long. The Habs suck, and here's why the construction of the defense. Um, all of a sudden, even though we're seeing Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson and Eric Gustafson make costly mistakes in the Stanley Cup Final, the learned lesson will be, oh, well, they they got us this far, and so this type of player is exactly how you make it far in the playoffs. And, I mean, the evidence is there to support it, even though they're really, when you look at the larger sample size, not very good players. And speaking of sample size, I feel like we were, because remember, I'll mention, I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, when early in the season we were on board with Montreal right away after their like 10 game hot streak like they're great and then all of a sudden everything kind of fell off because they could only sustain that level of play for so long I think what we're seeing in the finals is that's happened again they were the hottest team in the league for like 13 games and then all of a sudden they couldn't sustain that anymore and part of that is Carey Price too who was you know a, a superstar playing at an extremely high level throughout the entire playoffs. And now against Tampa Bay, the, maybe it's the fatigue that's finally set in because he was not good in game three. Yeah, no, not at all. And it, and maybe that applies to the whole team. Maybe they're all a little bit, you know, mentally drained. Um, and on the other hand, Tampa looks just as hungry as ever. Uh, and, you know, like call it an intangible or whatever, but um, they're fucking rolling. And it's really like, it's a contrast to Vegas where, uh, you know, like the Vegas did not look ready to play against the Habs. And it seemed like as soon as that system kind of got into effect, the Habs scored, early, uh, scored some early goals um, that they easily got, got easily stifled. But uh, with Tampa, it seems, you know, like every game they come out, out of the gate, uh, they score an early goal. And like the Habs haven't had us lead the entire series yet. We're three games in yep. and not a single second of a lead for the Habs. Um, and yeah, that's just how it's been. And the Habs, first of all, aren't a very good team. Uh, well, they haven't been through the playoffs uh, in terms of playing without a lead. Um, and yeah, they, they really kind of, they really excel at playing, you know, after they score that first goal. Uh, and then you can get an insurance marker and all that. But, uh, you know, playing from behind really hasn't been their forte. They've really built their game uh, off of, you know, scoring that early goal. And Tampa's done just that, scoring that early goal, uh, keeping the Habs off the board. A lot of that is Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky's been excellent. But even then, you know, yeah, you, you, you mentioned it earlier. The Habs just haven't gotten many opportunities on offense either. Uh, and that's a product of Tampa being a better team and, you know, Tampa being able to exploit their own opportunities to score those early goals off of those Habs, you know, neutral zone turnovers. And so, yeah, it's just all around. Tampa looked ready to play. And I think, you know, like, I think winning the cup last year definitely helps because I think especially game one, uh, the start of the game, the Habs looked kind of rattled. They look a bit overwhelmed. Uh, and, you know, Tampa looked like they knew what they were doing. They were in control from the start. And that's how they took game one. And yeah, it, and they haven't stopped rolling since. Now, uh, you talk about that defense. Man, I have some fucking beef with that defense. Uh, it's really like they've been fine. Uh, like the first three rounds. Really what's been go like, you know, they've played the system well, I guess. Um, but I give more credit to the system 
than those individual players. I don't get how the broadcast keeps fucking complimenting throughout the first three rounds, you know, complimenting Ben Chirot for being physical and all that shit because he just really isn't an all-around good hockey player at all, uh, and he's been completely exposed the first three games. Um, I mean, that game one was an absolute nightmare for him, uh, like on the ice for like three lightning goals. I think he, he scored he scored the, the double deflection goal. Congratulations. You got yeah. to bounce off two lightning. Um, but like, you know, fucking knocking it into his own net because he didn't know what the hell he was doing with the puck when it got went right to him, uh, among other sort of things. And then we talk about that game two fucking whiff at the end of the second period that led to the Coleman goal. Uh, and yeah, he's been fucking bad. And it's not just him, right? As you mentioned, Edmondson had that costly mistake in game two. Gustafson's been bad. Like, what is he offering? Like, he offers nothing defensively. He's a complete black hole defensively. And like, sure, offensively he's fine. But when the Habs can't generate any sort of offense, he's completely a he's a complete dud. Uh, and you can't have that kind of defenseman on a Stanley Cup winning roster. Uh, and you know, even John Merrill sucks ass too. And so this defense is a complete shambles. And you know, the forward core is fine. It's a solid forward core. You know, like lots of depth. And they've really been clicking, um, barring the third line, which has been all right. Um, but the other three lines have been, you know, good to extremely good uh, throughout the playoffs, I find. It's just that the defense has really been laying them down. Uh, and it seems like with every goal, you can point to a defense and you're like, well, he was just standing around or he gave the puck away. And yeah, well, what do you know? Um, big, tough defenseman. If you fucking flood your roster with those, it doesn't work out. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, and Tampa's just eating them fucking alive at this point. Yeah, after game two, you're down 2 nothing in the series. Um, game two, you made some mistakes that led directly to your downfall after game one in which you were severely outplayed. That was, and you were not, not only that, you were heading into the first ever Stanley Cup final game at the Bell Center. So, I mean, that's going to, of course, or at least it should inject some energy into your team. That was the time to make some significant lineup changes. And by significant, I mean, putting Thomas Tatar in. I am so certain, I was saying this, even in the Vegas series, and I'm even more sure now, he must be absolutely chomping away at the bit to get into a game. And I'm sure that if he got into a game, especially because, remember, this is a contract year for him. Not only that, of course, but it's the Stanley Cup final, and he has been on the outside looking in for almost the entire playoffs. If he got into a game right now, I assume he would be fantastic, and I'd be even willing to take out Arturi Lekkanen, even though he's been very good to make that happen. And of course, with the defense, now, well, not now, Game 3 was the time to bring in Kulak and Romanov and take out Marilyn Gustafson, because you were down 2 nothing. It's really that simple. Like That happens very often, when, it, especially when you're an underdog. You're down 2 nothing. What we're doing isn't working. Let's try to change it up, bring new players in. Even if Kulak and Romanov and Tatar weren't definitively and clearly better than Gustafsson, Merrill, and Lekkonen, I probably still would have advocated for some change heading into that Game 3. Instead, they go with the same lineup. I think it was it might have been even Ben Sherratt who, like, who said something like, uh, Oh yeah, well... This lineup has uh, brought us this far. Why do we change it now? It's like because you lost the last two games to the team that you're going against in the next game. That's maybe I know Ben Schwartz obviously isn't the one making the lineup decisions and he wouldn't criticize the coach's lineup decisions, but it was still a very strange thing to say. And it's that, that meme, you know, like the best time to do whatever was 10 minutes ago. And the second best time is now. The second best time is now. You could should have made those lineup changes heading into game three. You didn't. If you, you know, want to give yourself the best chance to win game four, I would strongly advocate for making those exact lineup changes. 
Yeah, I'm so confused as to why they didn't change anything. I mean, first of all, the way that you know, like I've talked about how there's a lack of talent on their defense, and that's kind of led to their how they've been how they've been uh, deploying them in terms of ice time, um, which is that Marilyn Gustafson barely play anything at all, uh, and they really lean hard on their top four. Now, um, that is problematic because a like it's what the hell? What's the point of having Marilyn Gustafson in the fucking lineup if you're gonna play them fucking eight minutes a night? Um, you're just burning roster spots at that point. At that point, you know, you might just throw in some forward, extra forwards instead. Um, and on the other hand, for those other four defensemen, I mean, they it's not sustainable, especially given the fact that they're all none of them are young. None of the four are young at all, and they were inevitably going to get gassed. And when these when these four players get gassed especially Sharon Edmondson and even Shea Weber, they're going to make stupid mistakes and they're going to break down in the defensive zone and they're going to get exposed. And that's exactly what's been happening. I mean, what do you expect? You're playing fucking Ben Sherratt like 20 minutes a night? Uh, well, 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 I don't even know how much he's playing. Um, 22? Well, what, do you think that's going to lead to good More. results? Um, and to keep playing him that much, to not make any sort of change, uh, and to not even shuffle the, the bottom two guys, like... Like, think about it. Think it. Like, do John Merrill and Eric Gustafson make such a huge impact in their eight minutes of ice time that you couldn't replace them with Kulak or Romanov just to see what they could offer in the Stanley Cup final against Tampa? That's completely fucking baffling to me. I mean, I don't understand. You lose two games like that, and you don't, you're just hanging that tightly onto the contributions that John Merrill brings in eight minutes of ice time? That makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and like, you know, that whole logic, oh yeah, it brought us here. Like, like, did it bring you any wins against Tampa up until now? No, it hasn't. It's only brought you misery. Uh, and yeah, they like, it's, it's just, it's just not misery. sustainable. Yeah, it, it's, it's not sustainable at all. A, in the regular season, but clearly B in the playoffs too, because it looks like that defense is gassed and a defense that's bad from the get go and then gets, you know, exhausted by the end of the playoffs after playing like 13 games, playing God knows how many minutes a night. Um, that's not a recipe for success, against the, especially against a team with Tampa that can roll wave after wave of both competent forwards and competent defensemen. Must be nice knowing that you have that on your roster. Um, yeah, it's, you're not going to win, and you're going to be hemmed in your own zone, and you're going to make dumb mistakes, uh, especially with those defensemen. And yeah, I, I cannot overstate how overwhelmed Ben Chirot looks on these goals. And he looks absolutely fucking awful out there. And, you know, like, you know, when the camera pans to the guy, the, the guy on the defensive uh, team who's like, responsible for the goal so to speak um they tend to do that with the camera people well what do you know this guy's face pops up every 15 seconds uh and <laughs> yeah you know like f so what for boxing out boxing people out in the front of the net they haven't even been they've been that good at that uh especially game three it looked like you know like yeah should the price have gotten uh like a bunch of the, especially the ruta goal that was really from long distance like yeah Sure, and the headman goal that was also from long distance. Sure, but they're like, like you know, like they're like fucking four bodies in front of the ice. Sorelli was right in front of Price in the, on the on the headman goal. I mean, like, what the hell do you expect? They're not even good at boxing the guys out. They're not good at carrying the puck. They're not good at moving the puck. What are, what are we doing here? Giving them so many minutes a night makes no sense, and that uh, you were never gonna win. This is not a recipe for success. Mark Bergevin has completely botched the construction of his defense, and the fact that he's gonna continue to do so, he seems pretty happy with this, especially since he made the Cup final, is an absolute travesty. I think even Jeff Petrie deserves some criticism because he kind of looks uh, like he's pretty he tired as well, especially especially game three. Uh, he That was not very impressive, I think, especially of that terrible line change, which is, again, just a, a mental error, a mental lapse on his part. And he appeared to just skate right by Andre Palat and Nikita Kucherov, who were hanging out by themselves 
at the Tampa Bay, no, sorry, sorry, at the Montreal Blue Line right before their team gained possession. So Jeff Petrie pretty much just skated by them to go to the bench on the long change in the second period and leave them both wide open for what was essentially a, a two-on-o and a pretty easy goal for Kucherov. That, and uh, I think Jeff Petrie pretty much solely wears the horns on that, the goat horns, whatever the term is. And there were other mistakes uh, that Jeff Petrie made throughout the throughout that game that I was like, oh man, come on, Jeff, you've got to be better than that. So I would say throughout the Stanley Cup final, um, none of the Montreal defensemen have been that impressive. None of them have been anywhere close to uh, to the top of their game. So that's a problem. Absolutely. Also on that on that two on O goal, that, like I feel like on his game price could have at least yes. made some sort of play. Like it's hard to it's hard to blame a goalie for a two on O, but Pilat didn't have full control of the puck until he was right next to Price basically, and you. Because he bobbled it, and you have to wonder, like he was. It's not like yes, Petrie and the, the, everybody that went off on that line change, completely awful. But um, I kind of expected the save there, especially the way Pulat bobbled that puck. Yeah, yeah, I no, I honestly first expected my in real time. I thought, why didn't Carey Price go out and try to play the puck and clear the puck yeah. before Pulat could get there? Because he definitely had time to. So I guess, you know, there's blame to go both ways or whatever you want to say. But Jeff Petrie leaving them totally exposed is pretty much, uh, mm-hmm. you know, an unforgivable mistake, whereas Carey Price just read the play incorrectly. Uh, let We could talk about this a little bit from, from Tampa Bay's perspective because I was actually, I was talking to uh, another Habs fan friend today who was who mentioned something like about how Tampa is 18 million over the cap and a lot of people are still stuck up I had on the this. same discussion yesterday I had the same discussion oh, yesterday wow. with another guy <laughs> that's hilarious all oh, right. that's interesting yeah, all right. so- and what I'm as most people can probably tell not very bothered at all that Tampa Bay would exploit this loophole because they didn't actually break any rules and if they did actually break any rules they would be in trouble for it and they wouldn't have been allowed to but I think I'm especially unbothered by the fact that it is Tampa Bay because there's a fun part of the story that most people seem to be ignoring. And it's that after Chicago did this pretty much the same thing, taking Patrick Kane off LTIR just in time for the playoffs in 2015. So they were $5 million over the cap. They won the Stanley Cup. And Tampa Bay, who they beat in the Stanley Cup final, was actually the team that proposed to the NHL that they close this loophole and change the rule. And they were pretty much the only team that's, that was in support of it. And I love the fact, ignoring the <laughs> fact that they're destroying Montreal to do it, that six years later, they're like, all right, you didn't want to close the loophole? Have instead of $5 million, we go $18 million. How do you like that, everyone? Let's ride this wave to back-to-back Stanley Cups. And, you know, who, that might even not be the end of the, the end of the road for them. You can't, like, look, I have a hard time blaming or even being angry at the lightning for what they're doing. It's not cheating, right? They're not fucking breaking any rules, as you said. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I do work at, I get do get where these people are coming from in that, like, back when, you know, the Habs weren't playing the lightning, this whole $18 million thing was a lot funnier to me personally uh, than it is when, you know, they're absolutely waxing the Habs uh, in, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you know, if we're looking for things to blame this loss on, I guess you could say, you know, it's an easy target, right? Everybody's been talking about, uh, all playoffs, but yeah, it's like, this is, this is completely above board. Uh, and yeah, just, I didn't know that fact up until now. Um, the fact that they tried to, uh, close that loophole back when Chicago did it, um, that's got to make it just that much funnier for lightning fans. And, uh, yeah, I mean, really Tampa's about to win two, two straight cups. That's, uh, 
That's bonkers. And very deserving because they Mm -hmm. really do feel like they're miles ahead of everyone else. And I know a lot of people, and again, the people who are saying like, oh, they're 18 million over the cap. It's not fair. Um, One thing that's so amazing about Tampa's roster construction is that you can afford to remove any one player off the team and they'll be totally fine. We saw it last year with Stamkos. We saw this entire season with Kucherov. If, say, Braden Point went down with an injury, all right, fine. We'll make Steven Stamkos our number one center, just like he was for, you know, an extremely long stretch of time. Like when we made the Stanley Cup final the first time, even if Victor Hedman goes down, you still have a great top four of like McDonough, Sergachev, Chernak, and Savard. Without your number one Norris finalist defenseman, you still have a great defense, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. And so the con- so the fact that Julian Breesbaugh and I guess Steve Eisenman before him constructed a team that's able to have any piece removed and that will allow them to exploit this loophole without the fear of missing the playoffs is extremely impressive. Another thing I want to point out, totally unrelated, uh, is that today is the day the Maple Leafs set the record for the longest Stanley Cup drought in NHL history in terms of days, breaking the Rangers' 54-year cup drought from 1940 to 1954. The Maple Leafs now have more days than that drought was, and there will likely be many more to come, at least, you know, Ah, like almost a calendar year. (laughs) Ah, that's fantastic. And and back to the Lightning roster, I mean, yeah, I took that, I took, it kind of hit me. I really had a deep appreciation for, for a certain aspect of it. Like, I think it was in the middle of game two or game one. Like, holy shit, this team has like five bona fide superstars and like three or four of whom you could argue are the very best in the league at their position. I mean, Vasilevsky, you could argue him and Halbuck are, are like, you know, top goalie, always that fighting around for the Vezina. You have Victor Hedman, who, you know, despite his, uh, you know, relatively down year, so to speak, this year. I mean, he just won the Norris last year, had an awesome season. Uh, and, I mean, he was a finalist this year. He's, Did he win the Norris last I think last a lot year? of people would say that. I thought that was Yossi. Oh, was it? Anyways, I don't Well, he won the Conn Smythe uh, last year anyway. Oh, Right, exact. My mistake. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> many people would argue he's the best defenseman in the world. And, you know, Kucherov, Point, Stamkos. I mean, how stupid is it that they're all on the same fucking team? That is completely absurd. Um, and, you know, that, did they do that with some with the help of some cap shenaniganery? Sure. But to have all those guys on that team and then to fill out the roster with all sorts of talented players like they do, like you're just talking about that Coleman Gord line, like it's completely fucking ridiculous. Uh, and we should appreciate it. You know the one that- I think we as hockey fans should appreciate this roster more because it fucking rocks. Yeah. And you know, the, the one that really sticks out for me is Tyler Johnson, fourth line center. I know yeah. when Cologne was healthy, he was fourth line center. He moved up when Cologne got injured, but fully healthy Tampa Bay roster has Tyler Johnson who was basically like sharing top line center duty with Stamkos in the 2015 cup run is now, you know, make a $5 million AAV just, you know, centering the fourth line, scoring a couple of goals in the Stanley cup final with Patrick Maroon and this guy, Ross Colton, nobody's ever heard of, uh, who's, you know, obviously a great fourth liner. It's pretty ridiculous what Tampa Bay's been able to build. And, you know, because I think, well, a lot of it is drafting. Like, like Point and Kucherov were both drafted outside the first round, which is absolutely ridiculous. But not only that, 
it's a lot of people are drawing the comparison to the New England Patriots and that they've been able to target players that they can tell will fit perfectly into their system and fills a need perfectly. And they appear to overpay for them, such as David Savard, Barkley Goudreau, Blake Coleman. But then once it, you know, really comes onto the ice and you see the you see the melding, the fusion per se, with the team, you see, wow, it was really absolutely worth it, especially in Blake Coleman's case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and yeah, they 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 got like they got a shredded a bit when they traded for him, right? Giving up a first round pick. Um, but uh, I mean look and at no them one now. foot. Look at them now. Two two cups later. Uh and yeah, Well, not quite yeah, two. Almost two. Well, we're gonna say two. Um I guess next week we'll have a proper postmortem for the Habs. Uh but uh right now I've already thrown in the towel. If they do manage to, okay, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna say it. I'm not even gonna say two. that if. Um we're just uh, yeah, I've thrown in the towel. They've lost. It's yeah, now three nothing. You really think you're gonna win? It's over. Remember, remember, just when they were down two nothing. The the stat that what they they were last like they've won the last fourteen games coming off of a loss, the lightning have in the playoffs. I mean, what chance do you have? What chance did you even have after losing game one? Think about it. Um the answer was not much at all. And yeah, you think you're gonna win four four straight against this team? Get the fuck out of here. Um and I don't even know why I picked the lightning in five. I should have picked them in four. Obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, but uh yeah, this team is just that much better. Yeah, I'm always very interested by fans who are trying to remain optimistic. Like, no, come on, there's still hope. We've still got a chance. And to some degree, I admire that. But I find that whether it's in the context of a series that the team is losing or even a game that they're losing near the end, I find that giving up all hope, A, makes the eventual loss less disappointing but B, if they do manage to miraculously come back, not saying in this series, but just in general, then it's that much more exciting if you had totally abandoned hope to begin with. You're like, oh man, this is totally unexpected, and I actually didn't see this coming. So I find that in sports, pessimism, at least from a fan's perspective, is always the right way to go and always increases the experience. 100%. Now, maybe not, don't follow that up with the rest of your life. You know, don't set your expectations on the floor, um, you know, in other aspects, but definitely for as a sports fan. To set your expectations at the floor is the ideal way to go. And that's how I approach many things um, when it comes to sports, different leagues, different teams. Um, yeah, you just assume that they're going to go 0 and 82, 0 and 16, 0 and 17, whatever the fuck it is. And whenever they win, it's like, ah, that's pretty nice. And whenever they make it to the cup final, it's like, holy fuck, I don't even know how to process this. You know, and you're overwhelmed with happiness. Uh, and that's what happened here. And uh, yeah, it makes you, it makes you feel that much better about the wins, and it absolutely numbs the pain, or at least dulls it somewhat uh, when you lose. And uh, there we go, a bit of sports watching advice for y'all. Um, don't, mm-hmm. don't set your expectations too high. You're only only one team could win the cup. You're only just setting and it up for probably for won't be yours, unless exactly. you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It probably won't be yours. All right, so. Maybe it's time, we were kind of talked a little bit about the awards for like 10 seconds before, but all the rest of the major award winners were announced earlier this week. I want to start with the Norris Trophy because right before we started recording, I saw a very fun stat from Jay Fresh that this is the first year in, I think, 52 years where the leading scorer for defensemen did not receive a single Norris vote. Tyson Berry, not on anybody's ballot, and I can see why. Uh, that's, that's, that was a fun stat and it makes a lot of sense as well. And that trophy went to the rightful winner, Adam Fox, uh, which I 
was a very, you know, because a lot of times we talk about a lot of awards and the Norris is one of them being this kind of lifetime, lifetime achievement trophy. The fact that Adam Fox, who was the best defenseman in the NHL this year, in his second year in the NHL, and last year when he wasn't even a finalist for the Calder, has now won the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman, gotten the recognition he deserved without having to, you know, play at this level for like six years to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it seems that the criteria of uh, best season, but best season by uh, a defenseman uh, was finally fulfilled, and that it was uh, best season and not uh, seasons plural. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, good for Adam Fox, rifle winner, as you said. Um, happy it wasn't Hedman, um, because uh, he didn't. He was not the best defenseman this year. And so, uh, yeah, rightful winner, as you said. Um, what do you, what do we where where to next? Should we go to the Vesna? Sure, do the Vesna. Okay, so yeah, Mark Andre Fleury won, which is uh, you know, he probably wouldn't have Yay. won if they had voted after round three. But uh, yeah, I mean, he what he he hadn't even been nominated right. Um, throughout his career and so uh yeah good for him um now was he the best goaltender this season hmm i don't know about that one but uh here's the yeah here's the thing i think it's close enough between flurry and vasilevsky that the flurry win is absolutely defensible defensible and i also do think that there is some recency bias with the playoffs in which flurry was you know pretty good mostly but also had a couple you know dud moments against the Habs whereas Vasilevsky's been unreal all the way throughout that are making a lot of people think hmm did Fleury just get the lifetime achievement vote I really don't think that's the case I think Fleury deserved to win and it is very nice that you know after such this long career where everyone's saying oh you know kind of borderline hall of fame player you know he has a bunch of Stanley Cups he's been very good for a long time but he's never even been a finalist for a Vezina it's very nice that at this point in his career, not just that he got the Vezina to add to his trophy case, but that he actually earned it. The one strange thing about it is that there were, I think, four GMs that left Vasilevsky off their ballots entirely, which pretty much what? handed Flurry the victory. Uh, yeah, oh, did you not hear about this? Yeah, there were because the <laughs> no, GMs over this award. Four of them left Vasilevsky out of their, I don't remember if it's just top three the ballot or if it's the entire top five. Um... And that would probably provide some added context. At least the top three, though. Uh, some GMs didn't put Vasilevsky there, which is kind of like, huh. But not sure why. Maybe you think he's being propped up by a great team. I assume that's your defense. I really wish we could find out who the GMs were that voted for what on this award. But unfortunately, we are never to find out. Yeah, they should really do the vote release or the ballot release like they do for the uh, the PHWA. Uh, it would make for some uh, interesting content. But uh, yeah, to win it at 36 for the very first time, um, especially considering like he's been so good uh, throughout his career, uh, is uh, very cool. So congrats to him. Um, next, we have the uh, the Calder. No surprise there. Uh, Kaprizov takes it. I think, what, did he get all the first place votes except one? Um, yeah, and... one person gave it to Jason Robertson. Right, yeah. So, you know, Robertson, he get it. Like, there was like some Robertson talk, maybe like, three quarters of the way through the season. But by the end, it seemed that, uh, you know, Capri's had to really kind of run away with it, um, given the end of the season that he had. And so, yeah, you got to wonder, did this voter, you know, do the uh, early voting thing where he mailed it in maybe like three months in advance? Perhaps we'll never know. Do we know exactly who it was? Because I know they released their votes for this one. Um, it doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, 
I made no surprise here. And uh, now the next move is uh, he's going to go and play in the KHL for a few years. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm pretty sure we will find out uh, who voted for Jason Robertson. That stuff is all going to come out soon. They just don't want it to come out like on awards night in order to you know take the attention away from the actual winners, which I kind of understand. Um, what else was there? The Hart Trophy. This one was nice. The second ever unanimous Hart Trophy winner after Wayne Gretzky. Connor McDavid, 100 out of 100 first place votes. Matthews in second. McKinnon in third. And it's a little bit disappointing that uh, Rob Rossi ended up, I think, giving his vote to somebody else because you'll remember early in the season, he got all upset about the anti-Penguins bias. And that's why Sidney Crosby isn't getting the Hart Trophy appreciation because as we all know, no Pittsburgh Penguin has ever won a major award uh, in you know recent memory or throughout the past 30 years. So, you know, their big name stars like Crosby and Malkin and Yager and Mario Lemieux never have gotten the attention that they deserve. Uh, so so uh, I wish Rob Rossi held on to his vote and gave Crosby that one first place vote and then McDavid gets the 99 like Caprizov because that would have been pretty hilarious. Uh, honestly, I was surprised. I was surprised no one went off the board, decided to, you know, galaxy brain this and give it to Matthews or McKinnon or Crosby or, or Brad Marchand or Mark Stone or Barkov or Vasilevsky or, or <laughs> Jeff Petrie or something like that. Like, uh, honestly, I was surprised McDavid got all 100, but... The voters did a good job on that one. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, and yeah, it's not, it's really, and while well, it shows in the vote totals, right? One unanimous vote or, or two unanimous votes ever in the history of the award. Um, but it's because, re- you know, everybody has a hard time defining what the hell does that even mean, right? Uh, most valuable player uh, and whatnot. And so, you know, you see a lot of discourse, but it seemed that this year, nobody was fucking talking about it leading up to it. The book was closed. Uh, the book was closed like Isn't three, nice? four months ago. Um, was that and, nice uh, one arguing about the Hart Trophy winner? I loved it. It was very peaceful. Yeah, it was very peaceful. That was the word I was going to use. Uh, and uh, yeah, McDavid, there was no question he was going to win. And the only question was, was it going to be unanimous? The answer was yes. And uh, yeah, this guy fucking dominated. It wasn't just a point total thing. He was completely dominant. I mean, it's Connor McDavid, people. He's been winning this thing every year. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely nice, peaceful, for sure. And uh, wholly deserved. For Connor McDavid, he who cracked 100 points in a 50-game season. 52. 56. <laughs> Do we want to talk about how uh, Damian Cox thinks it's the most embarrassing show of voting in <laughs> NHL award history? I, I kind of do. I kind of do because, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure Damian Cox like uh, lost his voting privileges a couple years ago <laughs> just because, I don't know. No, I don't. I, I, don't I think it's because he doesn't work at Sportsnet anymore. Or something with it, she's just not in the PWHPA anymore. I think that's what happened. And obviously this started uh, with such rage about the Lady Bing Trophy, all right? Which is, of course, the award for gentlemanly conduct. It went to Jacob Slavin. Did we, have we talked about this on the show, or do I need to contextualize all this? Uh, the uh, the Damien Cox stuff? Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have. I don't like. I think we okay. mentioned last week that he won. I don't think we talked about Damien Cox, though. Okay, so basically, for anyone who didn't see, um, after Jacob Slavin won the Lady Bing, Damian Cox, uh, I think he spent his Father's Day basically being like, which, by the way, he is a father. He spent his Father's Day being like, oh, man, uh, NHL award voters, so stupid for giving, giving Jacob Slavin the Lady Bing instead of Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. Uh, and basically, the description of the Lady Bing trophy is like gentlemanly conduct combined with 
uh, excellence of play. So what Damian Cox is interpreting that as is not what everyone else thinks. The actual award is, okay, let's pick one of the many really good players and give the award to the most gentlemanly one, which usually translates to fewest penalty minutes. Uh, Jacob Slavin only had two penalty minutes all year, and it was for a puck over glass penalty. What Damian Cox is saying this as is is like, all right, the award, I got away 50% gentlemanliness and 50% uh, how good are you? And the fact that Connor McDavid is clearly better than Jacob Slavin. And also, while not quite as gentlemanly as Jacob Slavin, quite gentlemanly himself in that he only had 20 penalty minutes, which is a pretty low total, that Connor McDavid deserves this award and should blow Jacob Slavin out of the water. And even if you wanted to misinterpret the award in that way and differ on opinion, that's fine. But to ha- to have any sort of opinion about the Lady Bing trophy so strong that you spend an entire day arguing about it on Twitter is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think he stopped there. He it was it was something like after the McDavid was uh, won the Hart Trophy unanimously, Damian Cox said something like, "Oh yeah, uh, McDavid is uh, valuable enough." for the voters to to pick him for the heart trophy, but 20 penalty minutes isn't gentlemanly enough for him to win the Lady Bing. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? It's a different trophy. What are you trying to compare here, Damien? <laughs> and it, just, it makes absolutely no sense. And then he went on to say that it was the most embarrassing voting the PWHPA has ever done, and they should lose their voting privileges when literally everyone else appears to say that this is the most reasonable voting that the NHL awards have seen in very recent memory. And so I think pretty much the lesson learned from this is that anything Damian Cox says, um, think the opposite and you'll probably be right about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you got to wonder like, yeah, the, the whole, the whole absurdity of the situation is uh, that he gives a shit about the lady Bing. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's not it's, get off your Twitter. It's father's day. Ah, uh, for the love of God! Uh, and yeah, to have such a wrong take, but not just that. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's one thing to have a wrong take; it's another thing to have a wrong take about the Lady Bing Trophy. Uh, <laughs> there's really, truly nothing more irrelevant than that. Uh, and yeah, David Cox is truly illustrating. He's like, you know, everyone was just pointing at this guy and laughing. And so, in that sense, I do appreciate uh, the collective laughter that Hockey Twitter experienced uh, at the expense of Damian Cox. So I guess he did provide some value in that sense. But hockey analysis-wise, like, man, come on. Come on. There's no way you possibly care that much about the lady fucking bang. Um, and and the definition and to, to completely misinterpret it like nobody else does. Wow. It's it's almost impressive. It's yeah. almost impressive to have reached this point in your profession, um, you know, having been a professional writer and all that. And still being this up in arms about something so completely irrelevant um, to the point where everybody's kind of laughing at you is, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's, a work. it's quite the work. It's quite a piece of work there. Yeah, just to take a second to differentiate Damian Cox from like other like Jim Matheson, for example. You know, uh, he's not the you know most you know whatever you want to say. He has some shitty takes from time to time. Jim Matheson does, but he's a nice guy. Damian Cox is not a nice guy, all right? He used to work at Sportsnet, and, you know, you're never supposed to, like, speak ill about former employees or everything. Uh, according to Steve Dangle, uh, many of his co-workers, because he works at Sportsnet too, uh, have, you know, they hated Damian Cox as well. No one liked him. Everyone hated him. You might even remember in, like, 2018 when Eric Carlson's um, wife or girlfriend, I don't remember, 
uh, had a miscarriage and was being cyberbullied. Damian Cox basically on Hockey Central went on and said something like, and basically blamed her for going online and subjecting herself to that. And I think that was uh, the last straw for him at Sportsnet. So this is not only uh, an idiotic guy in terms of sports, but he's a shitty person too. So uh, we're not Damian Cox fans. However, I'm not at all opposed to bring up any idiotic things he say to make fun of him. Yeah, the sheer stupidity here. Uh, astounding. All right. Speaking of uh, sheer stupidity, if we can move off the awards, because I think we covered them all. Um, it looks like the Oilers are interested in a certain player, uh, and he thinks that they think that uh, he'll be the one to push them over the edge with all his cup experience. And so, yeah, rumors are swirling that Duncan fucking Keith may be being traded to the Oilers. It sounds like the Oilers are hot after his uh, tail or whatever it is, uh, because he wants to move to the uh, to the West Coast. Western Canada or uh, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, yeah, an- yet another, just another episode of the Oilers not knowing how to supplement the roster next to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, so for anyone who's uh, still stuck in 2015, Duncan Keith sucks now. He's really bad. Uh, he is, he's, he's, he's gone. He's, how old is he now? He's like 38. So it makes sense that he's bad. Uh, you know, honestly, it's impressive that a defenseman, 38 year old defenseman is still in the NHL. I mean, top 100 player of all time. Am I right? Who remembers that from whatever year that was, 2017? Anyway, if the Oilers give up anything to acquire Duncan Keith, it's a bad deal for them. It's that simple. Duncan Keith provides no value on ice, provides no value to your team, except for, you know, leadership, cup experience, which can have an impact on your team. But I still don't. I still think when the player is bad, it's not worth giving up that much for. And the Oilers, assuming Clefbaum is is fully healthy next year, Duncan Keith will be the left defenseman on your third pairing behind Darnell Nurse and Oscar Clefbaum. And uh, I'm not sure how you probably have like you know Ethan Barry, Evan Bouchard. I don't know if they're bringing back Tyson Barry or Adam Larson or whatever. But Duncan Keith would definitely be on that bottom pair for Edmonton. And I assume Chicago would also be retaining probably half. And but honestly, even even if you know you're retaining half, even if I give up nothing, I don't really want terrible Duncan Keith on my team taking up over two and a half dollars of my cap for this year and next year, especially when like the Oilers, I'm trying to make the playoffs and go far in the playoffs, and they're probably hoping to win a Stanley Cup. I'm like, Duncan Keith really for over two and a half million, who's bad now? Is that really the guy for you? The answer is no. I mean, if you're smart about it, the answer is no. Uh, and because, yeah, he's not worth it on the ice. He fucking sucks now. He's completely washed. He's, I think he's 30, yeah, as you said, 37, 38. Uh, and it just, like, the big thing for me, the big sticking point is, like, sure, if he was a free agent and you want to bring him on, like, a, a minimum contract and you put him on the third pair, like, or, you know, hell, maybe the seventh defenseman, eighth defenseman, sure. You know, like, you're just getting some depth. And, you know, how the Habs did some of that, like, you know, with Corey Perry. Now, was Corey Perry completely washed? No, he wasn't. But, you know, I, I get the, the vibes. And you can bury um, a minimum contract very, very easily. Now, the problem here is that contract. Not only is it long, as in it's got two years left, and two years, you don't want Duncan Keith for two years. To commit yourself to Duncan Keith for two years is completely asinine at this point. But then to pay him over $2.5 million, what is it, two point eight? Um at 50% retain, we don't know if it's going to be 50% retained if there's a trade, um, is it, it makes no sense. 
It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense for any team to trade for this guy unless you're getting that sweetener, um, which at that which point, you know, you're weaponizing your cap space. Good for you. That's, uh, well, I'm all for that. But it doesn't seem like that's what the Oilers are going to do uh, because, you know, what have the Oilers done anything remotely smart with their cap management and their roster construction? And so, and plus, it doesn't even make sense for them, like, you know, roster-wise. You're trying to, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to capitalize on the McDavid uh you know, his prime, why would you, why are you taking on cap dumps all of a sudden? Um, so it doesn't make sense in that aspect. And clearly they want him to like make a push veteran experience. It's not worth $2.8 million. I can tell you that right now. Uh, and you know, they're probably going to try to give him as many minutes as he can handle. And that makes no sense whatsoever. Cause he's completely washed and yeah, just all around. This makes no sense for any team, let alone the Oilers, but for the Oilers, it's particularly on brand as well. Yeah, actually, something did just occur to me about Duncan Keith. I'm just looking right now. He led Blackhawks defensemen in ice time this past season, averaging 23 minutes, 24 seconds a game, according to Cap Friendly, and probably in that time, facing a pretty high quality of competition in the Central Division. That included Carolina, Tampa Bay, Florida, etc. Some pretty good teams with some pretty high-powered offenses. In a reduced role, I imagine that those awful underlying numbers that we're looking at right now probably get a lot better. So in that sense, I don't, I think the Oilers might be an okay fit in terms just looking at the player in the roster because he's decidedly a bottom pairing defenseman on that team. So in that respect, it makes sense. I still stand by the fact that like giving up anything to acquire that player when there are probably going to be comparable ones flooding the open market probably doesn't make much sense but in terms of fit with the team the Oilers I think make much more sense than say the Vancouver Canucks where Duncan Keith would probably still be like in a top pair role maybe they put him next to Quinn Hughes if they don't put him next to Quinn Hughes and have him on the second pair he'll probably still be like their second best defenseman or at the very very least they'll treat him as such and he'll probably continue to play over 20 minutes a game there so I think Duncan Keith on Edmonton we're, we might be looking at a, a somewhat effective bottom pairing defenseman. Duncan Keith on Vancouver, I think the disaster would probably continue. Yeah, that's fair. So I guess in that sense, it's not full-blown disaster if the Oilers acquire him compared to Vancouver. But still, yeah, I wouldn't acquire the guy. There's no point giving up assets for him. It seems like that's what they would do, um, give up assets for him. Uh, and yeah, as you said, lots of comparables on the market. You can pay them less than $2.8 million for a bottom pair defenseman. In fact, I would argue you should be. Unless they're really a really good, you know, third pairing defenseman, and Mikhail so yeah, for I don't example. think it really makes sense for anybody. Yeah, you know, of course. Um, but um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Why? Why would you go get this guy? He's washed. He sucks. Get out of here. Uh, and he costs too much money. That's that's the big thing, right? He costs too much money for too long, and two years is too long. One year is fine. Two years is way too long. Um, and yeah, so get get the shit out of here. If the Oilers do it, I'll laugh at them on the on the podcast. I have no qualms about it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he sucks now. Stop stop acquiring sucky players. Yeah, you know who on the Oilers' cap hit is not going to be as high as Duncan Keith's moving forward? Ryan Nugent Hopkins until 2029. An eight-year deal, $5.125 million a year. And for the reports that Nugent Hopkins were, was looking for like close to $8 million per year, like, wow. I mean, this deal, I mean, obviously, you know, even without that sort of strange context, this seems like a pretty fair value deal for Edmonton. The eight years is a little bit scary. I think it is like until he's 36, 
but you're trying to maximize, as you said, McDavid and Dreisaitl's prime years. And this deal does that because you have this very good complimentary player signed uh, at a very reasonable number for the next little while. I think for at least half the contract, uh, he'll be probably easily able to overperform the 5.125 number. Yeah, and he gives them good depth good depth on the middle. I mean, I assume if you know they if they put dry saddle eventually and, and stick him permanently as their two C, I mean that's a that's a very, very good three C. Uh and I mean he the, the, well, he's the been big playing part left wing wins, mostly. Right? Ryan Aaron H. Yeah, yeah. A lot of right. the times in yeah, the past yeah, two yeah. years. Yeah, he's been shuffling yeah. around with McDavid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, you could. You could have that center depth. Uh and also, like, but the big the big contribution, like, I think the biggest contribu- contribution that he brings to the, the team is on the power play, um, where, yeah, he's been really fucking good on it. And, well, I mean, obviously, it helps to have, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl on the power play. But, uh, I mean, he makes it work, too. And so he brings his thing. He's really good at it. And so, you know, eight years? Yeah, that's a long time. But, uh, yeah, as you said, the cap hit is very reasonable. I mean, for a guy that's 28, he took a pay cut, right? Like, compared to his last contract. Yeah. I think he was paying, he's getting paid six, right? Uh, and so, you know, with eight, yeah, eight million dollars completely preposterous. We would not pay that for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, but, um, you know, a solid second line center slash winger. He's pretty versatile in that sense. I mean, there's value in that. Uh, and the cap hit is reasonable. And I, I was going to say the same, same thing about Eric Sinek. It's that these contracts where they're around five million dollars. Um, I think, you know, it's with the cap. That's expected to move up, um, like de- years down the line. Uh, when when these players are like 34, 35, 36, and they really start to slow down, I mean, you hope. I and I'm pretty sure that's what the assumption that the general managers are making um, is that their cap hit will be significantly less important uh, as as a percentage of the cap um, when it goes up. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable approach. And if it means lowering the cap hit for these uh, this whole flat cap era that we're going to see for the next few years. I think that's a, that's a fine move. Yeah, well, with Eric Sinek, though, he'll only be like 32 when his contract is up because he's 24 now. Uh, he was This was like an RFA deal. I think he was coming... Was it coming? No, it wasn't coming off his ELC. It was ELC. Then his second contract was like about 1.4 for two years. And now, now this is his big one. $5.25 million for the next eight years each year. I like this one also. Uh, you know, it's kind of a novelty, like, oh, look, these long-term contracts, and we're actually saying they're good, because Erickson Eck is, like, um, well, first of all, he's the best center on the Minnesota Wild, for sure, and I think he finished, like, fourth in Selkie voting, and he, once again, he's only 24 years old, so the fact that a guy who hasn't, you know, paid his dues compared to guys like Bergeron, Barkov, Kopitar, whatever, and has been in this league for, like, four years, and is already accruing so many Selkie trophy votes says a lot about how good he really is. I think Minnesota's probably hoping that Marco Rossi can develop into like a top-line center, and then Eric Sinek will play behind him and that be a, a brilliant second-line center for a 1-2 punch there. And at 5.25, that's a very reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, this is a serious bargain potential. I mean, this guy, think about it. He's only 24. Uh, and, you know... At $5.25 million, if he's your 1C moving forward, that's a great price for a 1C. And if he's your 2C, well, you're not complaining at all because, hey, that's not a bad price for a second-round center. But also, he's really fucking good. Uh, and so, and yeah, and, and his style of two-way play, am I concerned? Like, when he's going to be at the end of the contract? Not at all. 
A, it'll be worth less on the cap, and B, I don't think his game's going to deteriorate, especially, as you pointed out, he'll only be around 32 compared to, like, the, the 36 that RNH is going to be at the end of his contract. And so, yeah, I like this. I very much like this contract. I think it's a great piece of work. Uh, and, uh, yeah, big offseason for the Wild here. They got to lock up Kaprizov and make sure he doesn't go to the KHL. I think Kevin Fial is up, right? And so they got to lock him up um, because uh, he's really blossomed as part of the Wild. Uh, so, but, yeah, very, very nice piece of work. As I said, I like this whole giving him the term um, to kind of lower the cap hit moving forward. But with this case with Eric Sedek, he's so young that, you know, it's like you're locking him up. And I would actually anticipate with a player like him, only 24, that you would actually, you know, maybe even elevate the cap hit because you're locking up, you're locking him up for the entirety of his prime. But I mean, that's not, that's not how it worked out. Uh, and that's all the better for the wild. So, um, yeah, first line center, second line center, either way, that's a great price. And, um. I don't really see him falling off. He has played a great two-way game. And as you said, already getting votes for the Selkie. That uh, really sets something, especially how the Selkie is being voted on. Yep. Uh, another thing, LA Kings made a great trade, in my opinion, acquiring Victor Arvidsson from Nashville for a second-round pick and a third-round pick. The second-rounder is this year, 40th overall. The third-rounder is next year. I first thought, wow, that's a very nice win for the LA Kings. Um, first of all, Arvidsson's a good player, a good second line offensive winger. And I know LA has got a lot of great offensive prospects in the pipeline. And Arvidsson is a, a great choice, I think, to insulate them and take, you know, the pressure off guys like Turcotte, Quinton Byfield, Arthur Kaliev. Not only that, but the contract lines up very nicely with their timeline because he signed for the next three years, which if Byfield and Turcotte are going into their rookie years this season, Arvidsson's contract is going to end right when Byfield and Turcotte need new deals. So it lines up very nicely in that way for the Kings also. Yeah. I mean, look, this is an absolutely spectacular deal, I think, for the for the Kings. I mean, the second and third round pick, no big deal because you're getting uh, some real offensive talent here. And as you said, this is a team that, you know, everybody's kind of looking around at the Kings and they're like, wow, that rebuild is really going well in terms of their ability to accrue these, uh, these accrue and then develop these prospects. And so this is a team that, yeah, has been recognized for as uh, potentially being a real-world threat, um, you know, moving two, three years down the road. And to kind of help that rebuild, and because, yeah, now their next stage after getting all these prospects is really bringing the team up, uh, up the standings, maybe get a playoff uh, spot within the next two years uh, to really get those stars go to get those uh, those prospects going. And Arvidsson's of great help for that. And reasonable cap hit. He's, is it, you don't really see him falling off in the next few years. I think he's, what, 28? Uh, and, yeah, the term lines up beautifully, as you said. Like, three years? I thought it was going to be less uh, for the price that they got him at. Like, a second and a third for three years of Victor Arvidsson? I think that's pretty fucking good. Uh, and, so, yeah, nice piece of business for the Kings. As for the, 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 uh, the Preds, I mean, I guess this is the sign that they're like... Well, is it the sign that they're like, okay, we're done here? Like, is it, it's time for a rebuild? Okay. Be- I can't tell. Like, I can't, I can't fucking die. I can never get a good read on the fucking Predators. All right? It's like, uh, I don't even know what the hell David, David Poe is about to do. Like, they just made the playoffs. It seemed like, you know, they didn't sell off at the deadline. And so it's like, oh, we're going to make that playoff push. Come, like, lost the lost to Carolina. They gave up a good, they, they put up a good fight against Carolina. Um, and then now it's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're, you're, you're sending away one of, you know, a, a troubled top six. And you're sending out one of, you know, the, the better players of that top six. I would say, uh, like one that doesn't have an albatross contract, for example. Uh, and like, what the hell is going on here? Is is this the rebuild season? 
Yeah, okay. I was thinking about that. I was like, what's Nashville doing here? Because they have seemed like the kind of team that's like, you know, one foot in, one foot out of contending versus retooling. Mm -hmm. What do we do? And this is, of course, this move would imply that they're leaning towards a rebuild. I'm very curious to see what they do for the rest of the offseason. Because if they do similar things like this, they trade Matthias Ekholm. If they trade... I don't even know who else they would trade, honestly, on this team. But if they do that Forsberg? same type of thing of trading... Uh, oh, I'm, I don't expect them to trade Forsberg. But if they do, then there's absolutely no doubt. They're like, yeah, we are fully committing to this rebuild now. But if they turn around and, like, sign someone in free agency and, like, you know, I don't know, trade a fifth-round pick for some fourth-liner, it's like, what are you doing here? Like, are you trying to be good or are you trying to rebuild? If you're trying to be good, why did you trade Victor Arvidsson for futures? And that would just make no sense. And just looking at the deal in a vacuum, I think the value is slightly in the Kings' favor. So even if Nashville was like committing to a rebuild now, we're selling off our guys. I'm like, really, a second and a third? Is that all you could get for, for Victor Arvidsson? I don't know. I, I felt like there should have been a bigger offer somewhere else. The other angle people are looking at this from Nashville's perspective is the expansion draft. Because now people are saying... Is Nashville going to want to go not only not do seven fours, three defensemen? Are they going to want to do eight skaters, but not just four forwards and four defensemen? Are they going to want to do three forwards and five defensemen? Because it might actually make sense for them. Because look at the forwards on Nashville worth protecting. Even when they had Arvidsson there, like there might have only been three. Like Philip Forsberg. Um, Wow, it probably says a lot that that's the only one I could think of off the top of my head. <laughs> but, um, but 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 uh, I'm opening up right now. I'm opening up the um, Seattle expansion draft tool. Um, here it is, Seattle expansion draft, and it, because the five defensemen that they might may want to protect are Yossi Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Dante Fabro, and Alexander Carrier, who kind of established himself in their top four a bit near the end of the season. And so yeah, okay, three forwards: Forsberg, Luke Cunning. And then a third one would have been Arvidsson. And then they still could have protected five defensemen. And the forwards that they would have been exposing are the likes of, I mean, Duchesne Johansson, no one wants to protect them. And like Colton Sissons, Cal Yarncroft, Yakov Trenin. Are you that worried about losing any of these guys? I wouldn't be. And so as it stands now for Nashville without Arvidsson, the three forwards you're protecting are probably Forsberg, Cunning, and one of those names I just mentioned. Probably like either Colton Sissons or Cal Yarncroft or Yakov Trenin, and I mean, you're not, I guess the the positive side is you're not looking at losing anyone that valuable if you're the Predators, but on the other hand, like, if this Arvidsson deal was made with expansion considerations of like, oh no, we didn't want to lose Colton Sissons for nothing, then it's just like, oh, are we really going through this again of teams going out of their way to protect these, these, you know, bottom six forwards or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, from the expansion angle, it makes... Little to no sense. I mean, you're going to lose somebody, right? And so what's the difference between losing Colton Sissons and, like, Callie Yarkrock or whatever, you know, Yakov Trenin? Like, is the difference that big that you felt the need to trade away uh, Arvidsson? And if so, like, and, and then, you know, how does that mesh with your long-term plan? Like, do you plan to contend uh, without, without uh, you plan to make a playoff push without Arvidsson? Um, and instead, wow, I have Colton Sissons instead of or, you know, instead of Yakov Trent, like, what is, what is going on here? 
uh, it just nothing really makes sense. I don't really buy the expansion argument because I mean they could have very well gone three five with Arvidsson on the team and come out very well because they had nobody else on the team. And so, yeah, I mean if maybe it is the expansion angle, but if it is, it's rather dumb. And yeah, Nashville really it's it's this will sink you, man. Having no vision whatsoever for like two, three, four, five years down the road will screw you over. And I think this is what. The problem is with David Poyle is that he is going to retire soon, right? Like, that's what we think soon. You know, that's what we think eventually. I mean, he's been here for so long. And if he isn't going to retire, he's going to be out of there soon because he just hasn't brought, you know, success in the last five years. Uh, so, and so he hasn't really been thinking long-term. And so what do you do? You get have a mediocre roster, mediocre forwards, bad contracts all over the place. And what you do is you try to contend every single year with your shitty roster. You don't get very far. Maybe you make a playoff spot and you lose in the first round. And that's exactly what's been happening with Nashville. Um, there's no window for contention anywhere here. Yeah, this team roster fucking suck. Can't even find four forwards to protect, let alone three. Oh, man. Or three forwards to protect, let alone four. Um, so, you know, this, this it's just a sinking ship here. It's a fucking sinking ship. This is a roster that five years ago made the cup final and it is not happening again because they suck. They suck. It's as simple as that. And because they're, they have no vision and the roster hasn't been constructed as such. And that's what will do me in the NHL in terms of roster construction. Definitely all the time, a hundred times out of a hundred, not having a vision for the future. Are you contending? Are you rebuilding? You pick one or the other. You don't do what Nashville's doing. Been kind of middle of the roading it. Last thing on Nashville. We know that most teams in the NHL are going to be protecting seven forwards. I'm looking at Nashville's right now to see what seven forwards would I pick to protect on this team. I've got to go with Forsberg, Sissons, Cunning, Rocco Grimaldi, Callie Yarncroft, Rem Pitlick, and Yakov Trenin. Bunch of players that no team would ever want to lose, right? Of course, got to protect Rem Pitlick. Got to hold on to him. Um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Josh Richards. Have you heard of Josh Richards before the NHL hired him? I still barely heard of Josh Richards even after the, the fucking NHL hired him. I've only, Me but neither. yeah, right we, The answer is no. Yeah, before we start, <laughs> before we started recording, I said Oregon talked about Josh Richards, and he took a couple seconds to be like, "Oh yeah, that scumbag the NHL hired." Yeah, sure. All right, I'm opening up his Wikipedia page right now. It says Josh Richards, internet personality. He is younger than both of us by a little bit. He was born January 31st, 2002, same birth month as me, so he is 19 years old. Joshua Kenneth Richards is a Canadian social media influencer, musician, actor, host, and entrepreneur. He has a following on a number of social media platforms and serves as Chief Strategy Officer of Triller. I have never heard of Triller. So basically, I assume everyone's heard about it by now. The NHL decided, you know what we need to do? We need to market to the youths. We need to attract the kids, the children. And how else will we do that without TikTok? And hiring some guy on TikTok with 25 million followers who is exactly like all the worst fans that we already have and will attract more of the same. So basically this guy is like, does he have a podcast with Dave Portnoy? I'm pretty sure that's what it is, even though he's 19 years old. He already has a podcast with Dave Portnoy, which should give you a little bit insight into how much of a scumbag he is. But I think to really put this in perspective, Down Goes Brown tweeted that his teenage daughter, when he asked her about this guy, said he's cringe and problematic and made a diss track. So we are basically working with uh, the king of cringe right here. Josh Richards uh, is the man hired to attract more toxic, conservative, young, white, rich children 
to the National Hockey League. Isn't that exactly what we need? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the whole problem with this, right? It's like the NHL is marketing towards all the wrong people in terms of its ability to grow the game to a wider audience. Um, because, yeah, they just keep going in and doubling down on their, their niche, which is the rich white people. Uh, and that's exactly what this is, right? The rich white right-wing people. Um, this is uh, a case study in that. And it just, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, you got to wonder what's happening in these NHL strategy marketing meetings. It's really fucking, like, I don't know how you come to this conclusion. Like, how do we get more fans? How do we grow the game? How do we get more brand recognition with the NHL? Um, And their answer was this guy. I mean, a guy named Josh. Completely fucking. <laughs> Josh if Richards. If you think Josh no is your solution to any problem, you're probably looking in the wrong place. Just as a general rule of thumb. <laughs> that's as com- that's completely not incorrect. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's baffling. I don't understand the logic, man. Like, uh, like how can you sit around the table, discuss what you're gonna do to do something, and do the complete opposite of what you're trying to accomplish? Like, what sheer stupidity is this? Um, and yeah, like you're just burning money at this point, and you're sending the message. Uh, that you're targeting the wrong people. You're not really trying to grow the game. You're just trying to get more rich white people on board. Uh, and I mean, that's 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 always been this league's downfall, right? It's, that's why it's like the fourth fourth place out of the four major leagues. It's complete inability to grow the game within a wider audience in North America and and for the rest of the world for that matter. So yeah, it's uh. And it's just, yeah, it, it's a small thing, I guess, so to speak, you know, hiring a dude from TikTok to be a fucking marketing consultant or whatever the fuck, um, or a partner or whatever. It's a small thing, right? But it's just it's just sim- symbolic of uh, the, the greater problem with the NHL, which is that they don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to uh, growing the game. Yeah. All right. Last thing before this week's draft, a couple new, well, confirmed hired coaches in the NHL. I got to be honest. I don't have any thoughts about this. Buffalo confirms nope. Don Granato is their head coach. Arizona hires Andre Trini with both these teams. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. Next one in line. Enjoy your year, year and a half coaching these teams before they fire you and try to find someone else to ride the ship until they inevitably fail as well. Yeah, it's just the uh, with these two teams in particular, right? I think it's rather fitting that they both hire their coaches in the same week and now we're talking about them in the same breath. Um, it's, uh, it's the perpetual cycle of misery here in Arizona and Buffalo, um, because you can't build a good roster. And if you can't build a good roster, no coach is going to be able to help you. And no coaches, no good coach is going to want to be able to help you because they have better offers out there in other cities, uh, that aren't perpetually sad. Um, and yeah, that's what it is. You know, Granado, I mean, like, sure. What did he do? He got the Sabres, he got them winning a bit more. And so they won like what? 40% or not, not even 40% of the games. Um, they just weren't losing 13 in a row. Like. Congratulations, the bar was the floor. Uh, and for the Coyotes, like, you know, cool. New hire with Turini. I don't think he's had an NHL stick yet. And so, you know, mm-hmm. cool. I'll see you. I'll see you. I'll see your name in the news in two years when you get fired. Right? And we'll be like, oh, yeah. I guess it didn't work I'm out. I'm not sure about and you like, at all until then. Exactly. And like, you know what? Like, and you'll just be the answer to a dumb trivia question that I won't be able to figure out. Like, that's all it is at this point. Uh, and... Yeah, like it's completely forgettable. No, there's no this. This is no success in the in the future for either of these uh, teams, these coaches with these teams. 
Um, because uh, yeah, they're they're just it's they're fundamentally broken teams, and so whoever you hire, it's like who gives a damn? It's not like you're gonna attract anybody good anyways. And if they do, they're just gonna go and in a few years and coach a different team that's better. You just gave me a good idea. Maybe my next trivia for you will be Arizona Coyotes coaches. Does that sound like fun for everyone involved? Ah, yes, for everybody involved. Um, yes, everybody's favorite topic of discussion: Arizona Coyotes. Head I coaches. dare you. Um, I'll think about incorporating it somehow. We'll see. We'll see. All right. All right. Let's move on to this week's draft. All right. I've been looking forward to this one all day. You came up with this idea this morning. Uh, this week we're going to be drafting Olivia Rodrigo songs. For anyone who hasn't heard of Olivia Rodrigo, uh, she's an industry plant, but she's a very talented one. Uh, she came out with her <laughs> debut album, Sour, uh, like a little over a month ago. Uh, it broke a ton of records, a bunch of streaming records, all those things, you know, most popular thing on Spotify all time. I don't think that's necessarily true, but whatever. Basically she's incredibly famous now. Uh, I was mentioning to you before that, uh, I was actually a fan of an OG day one fan or whatever. Cause I was, uh, she was of course in high school musical, the musical, the series on Disney plus she's, uh, one of the starring roles on that show that started airing in like late 2019. So I already knew who she was, so I've already got the edge on this one. So basically, uh, there are 11 songs on her album. I don't know if you had an idea how to like balance it out, because she does have one song that she wrote and that she is the only performance credit on from High School Musical, the musical, the series called All I Want from season one. I don't know if you've ever heard it or heard of it before. I was thinking that might be a way to bring it up to 12. We want to include that song. Okay, so I I have heard the song. Uh, and so, yeah, so there are two ways to do it. We can just go 5-5 five, five and leave one song out, uh, out in the rain. Uh, and uh, Or we can go 6-6. Six, six. I'm completely open to both. First of all, I do want to, sh- like, uh, good for you. I mean, I think, for, I think being a fan of Olivia Rodrigo pre-driver's license is one of the bigger flexes of 2021 at this point. That's what it's come to. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, but yeah, Thank how you. would you like to proceed? 5-5, five, 6-6, five, six, six, I'm uh, completely indifferent. I think we should go 6-6. Six, six. I think each drafting six okay. things is uh, pretty much our staple here. So I think we can hold on to that pattern. Right. Um, I might have get... mentioned that. Yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that this is our fifth draft. Uh, and I lost the first four polls, all of them. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you were going to mention, but I, I'm pretty bad was. at this so far. Yeah, okay, right. I'm pretty bad at this so far. And so I had a new plan for this week. And my plan oh, was uh, to just be quiet and let the, my picks speak for <laughs> themselves without without going all crazy, defending my picks and criticizing your picks. Because maybe that makes me look a little bit, I don't know, insecure about my picks. Maybe that's the vibe I'm giving off, which is, of course, not what I'm trying to do. But unfortunately for me, Ty Say has made the decision to, to introduce this topic, which is something that I would love to discuss, which is songs. I love talking about songs and music. Uh, so it's go- honestly going to be pretty difficult for me to fight those urges, but I'm going to try and say as little as possible throughout this draft. Wow. Okay, I thought I thought you were going to say it's very hard for me because it's songs and you want to say so much, so I'm just going to push this new strategy to next time. Um, look, either way, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I'm going to be five and zero at the end of this all. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm looking forward to this, uh, lack of defense. Now let me just add all I want to my uh, draft board. I don't think and it'll so last long. How... I'm probably going to end up saying stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so let's, let's, let's decide how, who's going first and we can begin. I think I should go show. first since I lost every right. week and I need this boost. Okay. 
That's fair. Go ahead. All right. Pick With the first one. overall pick in the Olivia Rodrigo song draft, I'm going to select Good For You. All right. Um, pretty good. Pretty good pick. I don't have much to say about it. Um, yep. That's, I mean, sure. I'll hand you that one. I think you'll screw up later down the road. But, um, yeah, first overall pick. Pretty clear cut. All right. Next up, with the first, with my first round pick, I'm going with the big one. And I think, I frankly think that this has more value uh, at second overall, maybe even first overall than your pick. Uh, I'm taking driver's license. Now, uh, at this point, it's reached a point where I think a lot of us would agree it is verging on the edge of being overplayed. However, I think that clouds our judgment. Um, why is it so overplayed in the first place? Because it fucking rocks. And so, you know, like, look, how many, like, you look on Spotify, which song has the most listens? That's all I'm going to say. And by a fucking long shot, too. Um, so, driver's license. First round pick. I think second overall. Excellent value. Better value than your first overall pick. And so I think I'm out here to a great lead. Driver's license for the win. With my next pick, I'm going to take Deja Vu. Okay. All right. The three singles are the first three songs off the board, which Makes is sense. pretty much what Makes I expected. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're trying. And clearly, that was your strategy going first. You get two of the singles, uh, two of the two of the radio ones, radio songs. But uh, you know, we're we're trying to please the we're trying to be crowd crowd pleasers here. I see. Um, but uh, no, no, I think I'm I honestly, that, I think I do think that the three singles are the three singles for a reason. It's because they are the three best songs on the enough. album. Fair enough. All right. Um, moving on. My next pick. Now we're now we're moving to uh, other territories. I'm taking. Uh, I'm taking brutal with my second no. round pick. I think that's absolutely <sighs> excellent value, and and you've absolutely validated with your 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 very sad cry of despair. Um, yeah, yeah, it fucking rocks. The song rocks. It's relatable for everybody. You don't need to have been broken up with or whatever to uh, relate to it. It just uh, everybody's sad. Um, the world, the world sucks, and not only that, it all plays to a wonderful beat, an absolute headbanger. And uh, yeah, it was also the song that we saw in the broadcast. Uh, I think it was game two. Um, and uh, we're all like, oh, what do you know? Fucking Olivia Rodrigo on the Hockey Night Canada broadcast. That fucking awesome. Fit in perfectly. And uh, so brutal, absolute steal, absolute elite, elite fucking pick right there. And uh, I think you agree. I think you absolutely agree. I don't call it a steal. I just think it's the appropriate pick at fourth overall. And on that hockey night in Canada uh, thing, I think I don't remember who, whoever runs the social media for hockey night in Canada said that they had never gotten as much positive reception as they did when they played brutal uh, in the, that opening sequence. And man, it was it really like a bunch of like, especially here I go talking about songs, but like I find good for you and also brutal really capture like the early two thousands, rock and roll sort of thing that was popular with people like Avril Lavigne and Michelle Branch and all of them. So there we go. My next pick, I'm going to select enough for you to song. I didn't listen to that much until like just before we started recording when I wanted to make sure I got up to speed on some songs. I didn't listen to that much. And I was like, wow, this one's pretty good. It's got a super nice melody. I should probably listen. I, I probably should have listened to this one a little bit more than I have. Okay, that's 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 a fucking terrible pick. Are you kidding me? That's awful. Um, let's see, where did I have that on my board? I think I had that like tenth. Um, oh, that was bordering on like I'm not even gonna draft this song. Um, so uh, yeah, very questionable move there. 
Uh, I think I think it's a rather uh, forgettable song. I think it's one of the more like you know they're all they're all bops. I think we could all agree. But um, I think out of the eleven, Mostly. it's one of the more forgettable ones. Um, so you know, I think yeah, this ain't it. Um, I think that's your first mistake, and this is where I'm gonna exploit it. I'm gonna take you to the dub, and uh, you've been left in the dust. You've been left in the dust. All right, third round pick, sixth overall. We are taking hmm. Ah, we'll take Trader. All right. Um, yeah, second on the album. Um, and um, I think I think it's one of the best ones. I think lyrically, it's very nice. I think uh, it, it's it's like it's you know it's not it's one of the it's not one of them headbangers, but she still manages to hook you on. And uh, I've listened to the song many many times now, and I'm still not grown sick of it. It's a fantastic song, and you know I would. It's up there in terms of very best songs on the album, I think. Like, you know, like if I wasn't drafting them, and if I just had to rank the 11 songs, it would be up there. I would slot it in like third, fourth. And so getting it at sixth, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, the Trader versus Enough For You third round matchup here is a complete lopsided. It's completely lopsided. Uh, it's a route. And so you better make it up with your fourth round, which I don't believe you'll do. But uh, I'm going to say, I, I think... Trader was eight on my list, by the way. I think it is quite overrated by virtue of being the second song on the album. Um, but that's just my opinion. I uh, think my next pick right. is has the highest value of anyone so far in the draft. Okay. I actually have this higher than Enough For You on my list, but I wasn't sure how you felt about Enough For You if you really liked it. So I wanted to hold off on this one, which I didn't think you were going to take. Favorite Crime. It's right tucked in right near the end of the album. Oh, it's a pretty bad. short song. That's terrible. It's like two and a half that's minutes. Terrible. It's so good, Jesus and it's Christ. very nice and compact and very clear. And there's a bunch of layered voices near the end that really, you know, that of course repeat the chorus, but on the higher octave that hadn't been reached before. So I really think this is uh, structured very nicely, produced very well, uh, very you know well written in terms of the melody and the progression, and from just top to bottom, a very nice short piece of musical work. I don't know what you're doing. This is this is okay. This is why you're down for nothing in the series. By the way, you make these absolute brain-numbing decisions. Um, I, I have no idea what you're doing here. Um, like favorite crime, I think it was enough for you versus favorite crime. Eleventh on my draft board. I don't know where all I want fits in yet. Just yet. Um, a little insight into my draft process. Uh, it's just it's sitting there, and I'll figure out when I want to draft it. Um, but uh, yeah, this was eleventh on my draft board. So um, yikes. And That's your I mistake. I think I think it's I think it's another forgettable one, you know, like out of out of the eleven, I think enough for you and, and favorite crime, it's like, you know, I kind of like if you if you ask me to list the songs, I'm like, uh, oh, what was that one again? Favorite rhyme? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And uh, I think it's a crime drafting it in the fourth round. That's what I'm gonna say. Um, okay, my turn. It's my uh, favorite eighth crime. pick. I think I think this one's another steal. This is my favorite crime. This next pick, absolute steal. Uh, I'm taking the last one on the album, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I'm taking Hope You're Okay. You took um, it. You took the bait. Oh, no, you took the worst song. I, oh, you, you did what it. What are you fucking oh, you talking about? It. What are you talking oh, about? Man. Oh, it's so bad. God. It's so bad. What? <laughs> banger what after banger until you Hope You're Okay. About? What are you talking about? Oh my goodness! To call this a banger dying, after is, banger is a until, 
until all these all right this fits does not fit thematically at all with the rest of the albums here are some of my of troubled children i used to know and the album is done <laughs> there that's what it is that's what it is and he took it in the fourth round okay all right look thematically like who gives a fucking shit about thematically i don't know what you're talking about well it's um it implicitly affects you if it's like oh this song is kind of unlike the other ones and it's a little jarring and it's not even necessarily something the listener has to actively notice but it's just like it sticks out and it's like well this doesn't make sense with everything else i was just listening to and you enjoy it less because of that that's complete nonsense. It doesn't have to make sense thematically. If it sticks out, maybe that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing. I think it sticks out for being uh, rather nice, especially after, what was it? Uh, after Especially after having listened to Favorite Crime at number 10. I think it's a nice little, uh, yeah, I think it's a good pick-me-up. Like, you know, song quality. Really pick-me-up. And uh, no, not, 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 by your dad. not, what are you talking about? not, not, not thematically, not lyrically. I'm just talking, oh, I like this song. Get my gist here. All right um and uh yeah i think uh it's a nice song so i think it's a very very nice song and i think it's better than either of your last two picks and that's where we stand that's where we stand and i don't know what's what's your beef with this whole theme change i think it's rather nice you get a little curveball a little change up in there and i don't think that's such a bad thing to end the album and it's not a bad change up at all bottom corner strike yeah. right there uh you killed just, it like- and so yeah it's okay when an album has like every song is about different things, but when like every song in the entire album is about, you know, heartbreak and sadness, then, you know, this last one is something that's pretty unrelated. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little weird. It's a little bit weird, but whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to judge anyone's music taste. It's just, I think that hope you're okay. Isn't very good. Anyway, I am about to take a song that is approximately 500,000 times better than Hope You're Okay. Uh, and it's the song yeah, Happier. All right. Nice pick. That was good. That was my next one on the board. Solid value. Um, I enjoy the song. Well, I say that all about all the songs. Um, but uh, okay. I don't have much to roast you about on that one. I think your fourth and third picks were significantly more egregious than this one. Um, and so, all right. Solid stuff. Um, first of all, I'd like to point out that yeah, last round, the last couple of rounds, you have completely botched your strategy at saying nothing. Um, and so clearly you've kind of ditched that, uh, as the uh, draft is yeah, well, much to your detriment. Whatever. All right. Okay. Um, next up, what do we have left? So I have how many songs? I have three songs left. You have four songs. Okay. So you have two songs left. Four to take. songs. Ooh, what is this? Um, I have, there's Jealousy, Jealousy, One Step Forward, Three Steps Back, and All I Want. Is there another one I'm missing that I could pick? No, that's all of them. Okay, all right. I gotta, I gotta pick one of these three. Hmm. All right. I know which one I'm taking. I'm taking Jealousy, Jealousy. Um, I think it's, it's a bop, first of all. Uh, and it's relatable, you know? You feel jealous. It's not just necessarily romantically. It's just, uh... You know, jealousy, jealousy. So, uh, and I think it's better than the other two songs, notably, uh, by a significant margin. And so here we are. Another steal for me. And you can go ahead with your final pick. I think it's very fitting that seeing as I was the pre-driver's license fan, I do take the pre-driver's license song, which actually was a little bit of a hit on TikTok back in uh, late 2019. 
All I Want, Season 1, Episode 4, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series. Uh, there we go. My last pick, quite the steal, I would say. And that leaves you with uh, one step forward, three steps back. Yeah, it's a nice song. It's a nice fucking song. And so I think it's, you know, and also I'm kind of surprised you didn't take this one because the title is very fitting of your draft. Um, You know, like you took one step forward and you take three steps back, especially with uh, fucking Enough for You and Happier. Well, enough for you in favorite crime. Sorry, but there again, slip of the tongue. I think Happy was my third last. Yeah, it was like you you took all three of my worst ranked songs. So congratulations. Uh, and so those were really the three steps back that you took, um, all in consecutive you actually, order. Um, but you took all of my last three ranked songs as well. Uh, one step forward, three steps back. Jealousy, jealousy, and hope you're okay are my ten, eleven, twelve. So I guess we have okay. differing well, tastes, is what we've learned today. I guess so. Um, well, not so much in that we both very much enjoy the album, but when it comes to particulars, I guess so. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with this last round pick. I didn't want to be stuck with the, uh, the, the lone non-sour song here. And yeah, I think it's on brand in that I got steals in every single round and you got completely smoked and I anticipate the voters will vote for me. Please vote for me, everybody. Uh, and, uh, we'll have the Instagram poll soon enough. I think this week we'll, we'll include a summary up there on the uh, picture or whatever we post on our story. And so you can truly see side by side just how thoroughly I smoked Alex. Yeah, I think I think maybe you're you're a little you're overestimating yourself a bit. I mean, I know you do have a pretty nice, you know, 4-0 sample size to go off of in terms of <laughs> reason to think you might win. But That's I don't right. know. Whereas you whereas you know a lot of things about like times of day and what else did we draft? Olympic track and field events uh letters of the alphabet while you are an expert in those categories i think i think i i know a lot about songs and i think i would dare i say i might know a little bit more about songs than you do so i think that knowledge will will shine through here i think even though you slammed enough for you the listeners are wise enough to see well that's a pretty uh it's a pretty strange and bad take that taisei has there enough for you is uh, one of the gems of the album and it was a totally great third round pick so just to recap the teams for everyone my team we got good for you deja vu enough for you favorite crime happier (laughs) and all i want and tyson uh, the reason i paused there is because uh i was debating whether or not to make a comment about how my first three songs all rhymed good for you deja vu (laughs) right it's it's not (laughs) because i I was embarrassed about saying favorite crime because i think that's a steal and tyson's team (laughs) driver's license brutal traitor hope you're okay Jealousy, jealousy, which he, I'm sure, feels towards my team. And one steps forward. Okay, well, all well, right. Not sorry. One step forward, three steps back, which is as Taisei thought I did with my team. He indeed did with his, which is why he has it on his team. Any final thoughts? Yeah, like if well, you, well, you just put it like that. It just it just goes to show, like you you got completely demolished. Oh my goodness, this might be my biggest no, see, win yet. And we're no, talking about has, we're talking about. Oh man. No, no, yeah, not so not true at all. I have I have the, the voters will, the voters will show you. The voters oh, will yeah, show you. The voters will show you just how bad you no, choke. No. You choke. This is a choke I job. Think, you had that. You said you had a sizable advantage with that first pick and also with your musical knowledge. But I think you completely blew it here. I can't lie. See, you just acknowledge my musical knowledge. So if you're acknowledging that I have heightened musical knowledge, what makes you think that you have a sense of which team is better? Shouldn't I be the decider? I did. Say, I, I, be... I did. I did. I did. I didn't say I had no musical knowledge. I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think we didn't use it properly here because you picked some bad songs. You picked some. You picked some absolute duds. Well, none of them were actually duds, but relatively speaking, 
I think I think you blew it. You picked the so, one, um, Doug. Honestly, I mm-hmm. think if I were the decider, I would literally I would look. All right, Tyson's team must hope you're okay. Oh, really? Yeah, it's gonna be pretty <laughs> hard for him to overcome that hole. So, uh, and of course, you did not. So, sorry about that. I think that wraps okay. it up for this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. I'll put the poll up later in the week, probably around Wednesday or Thursday. Um, probably Wednesday because today's Saturday, actually. And uh, you can vote on the fact that my team is better than Tysay's. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back probably about a week for a week from today. We may end up getting back into Sundays eventually, probably around draft time, expansion draft time, which is sneaking up on us. We're probably gonna have like uh, you know like jump around to the middle of the week at some point, depending on the timing of things. So stay tuned for that. <laughs>